This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 118 for Thursday, December 1st, 2011. The intro music you just heard actually was Christian Cage's old TNA intro music, which I'm sure you can probably find on iTunes or probably on TNAImpactWrestling.com. Not 100% sure since he went to WWE, but if you want to pick it up, that's where you can go. Call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. If you want to leave any feedback, have any questions, you can call our feedback line, 347-8150-MTR or 8150-687 for feedback. All right. Last week, of course, <clears throat> Thanksgiving, we ended up broadcasting on... Wednesday evening, very short show. Uh, obviously, the holiday was a factor, but um, with that said, I have a feeling this show is also going to be a short show because a lot of things were kind of quiet during the holiday break, but like always, if we go the full three hours, great. If we don't, we don't. Either way, I know you guys enjoy it. Uh, very interesting tweet, well, direct message I got from someone with regards to when am I going to start producing video? One of the big things with video has been getting the right rig, getting over being in front of the camera. I'm sure most of the videos you you guys have seen on MTR TV on YouTube have been me reviewing stuff and not being in front of the camera. That's a personal thing. Still got to adjust to that. I am going to be doing a review for the microphone I'm using, the Audio-Technica mic, and I may or may not go on camera for that. That's actually going to be part of a review I'm working on. Also have a review for the Olympus uh, TG810 Tough Camera, which it's been such a very long process to get out. In addition, I'm working on a review for DC's 52, which I'm actually trying to figure out a way to do audio and, and put it into the review itself. That way you guys can read it and I can summarize it verbally instead of just adding a, a big wall of text, which I'm sure you guys don't give a fuck about. It's easier to just read something small that you guys can absorb quickly, especially because I know a lot of you, based on the stats, read the site throughout the afternoon. Some of you probably are reading it at work. <laughs> and if so, I want to make sure that you guys can grab the content and go. And if you need to come back to it, you guys can come back for the lengthy stuff. So there's going to be some improvements with that. We are also looking to redo the MTR site. Yes, once again... Um, the current layout that we have is starting to wear a little thin on me and we'll probably be launching something new in January, if not sooner. So you'll be seeing some changes with that. We're going to change the way things are categorized, just condense the menus a little bit instead of having it broken down super, super deep. It's going to be, for instance, reviews aren't going to be broken up into video games and then reviews is going to be reviews main and then you'll have video game reviews, gadget reviews, and movie reviews. That's how I plan on laying it out 
that we're going to have featured articles, et cetera, et cetera, just to clean up the layout a little bit. I think that the categorizing of the site has gotten has got a little deeper than I would have liked. So we're going to make some adjustments with that. Also, our MTR affiliate store is live for the holidays. If you're doing any shopping on Amazon.com, do it through the MTR affiliate store. You end up helping us out and you'll be able to get the items you need directly through Amazon. We have no involvement whatsoever other than us navigating you through our store to Amazon. So you'll be able to get that squared away. You'll help us out and you'll be able to take care of your gifts as well, all with the reliable Amazon services you all know and love. So do yourselves a favor. Check out the MTR affiliate store. Most of the movies, games, gear, and even some of the comics we talk about, I'm slowly putting them into the store. If there's anything that's missing that you'd like in there, please let me know. I'm even putting some of our broadcast gear in there that for those of you that are looking to get into podcasting or live broadcasts and want to know the, the rigs that we use and the gear we've used, you'll be able to pick that up there as well. From the mics to the boom arms to the various mixers, they're all making their way into the Amazon affiliate store. So definitely hit up the tab on mytakeradio.com and you'll be able to take, be able to help us out and get some shopping done in the process. MTR, of course, is available on Stitcher. Stitcher is actually um, pretty much, I almost want to say the sponsor of the show, primarily because if you download Stitcher by going to stitcher.com forward slash mytake and enter the mytake in the promo code, you'll be able to get a $100 gift card, which also helps out mytake radio. Stitcher is a great option if you don't for whatever reason, want to get the app, which by now I expect you guys to have it. If not, Stitcher is a great alternative. It allows you to stream episodes of My Take Radio on the go. No need to sync with iTunes or any of your other MP3 software, You don't, well, MP3 programs. No necessity for that. No necessity for dragging and dropping MP3 files either. All of it streams directly to your mobile devices, whether it's Android, iPhone, WebOS, and BlackBerry. Wi-Fi or via your wire, uh, your wired connection, whether it's 3G, 4G, you'll be able to get MTR episodes that way, including all the exclusive stuff that app members get as well. So it's another alternative for you guys. Either option is great. Sound quality is solid. If you want to help us out with that and you want to try something different, Stitcher.com forward slash my take is where you go for that. Not only that, but $100 gift card isn't bad. Our Get Glue check-ins, I believe we actually have hit 100. If we haven't, those of you that are on Get Glue should get to the checking in. Stickers, like I said in previous weeks, lost cause. We're just going to leave that alone for now. We got some t-shirts also in the t-shirt store. Go to mytakeradio.com, click the store tab for that, and you'll be able to get yourself an MTR t-shirt. We got it for the guys, for the ladies, and we got pullover hoodies and um, zippered hoodies. And Slick just informed me that there are now 101 check-ins. Very nice. Thank you guys for checking in on Get Glue. Once the stickers go live, I'm sure those of you that check in every week will see it. There's tons of new content up on MyTakeRadio.com. There's some stuff from me, uh, some stuff from Ben. There's also going to be some stuff from Slick. Be on the lookout for that. Slick has been working effortlessly behind the scenes trying to get some stuff out for you guys. He knows that a lot of you really like reading his stuff. I should know. I have the stats to prove it. But um, be on the lookout for that stuff this weekend as well. 
Also know that MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic are available exclusively for My Take Radio app owners and Stitcher subscribers. We're going to be recording new interviews probably within the next few weeks for the holiday season. Um, I'm going to be talking to Stephen Brooks from Rubber Onion Animation probably next Tuesday or Wednesday. And if we get our simulcasting in order, we may actually simulcast that interview on a, on the Facebook fan page and maybe give him the URL so he can simulcast it also on his Rubber Onion Animation page. We'll be talking animation and the current state of animated films uh, amongst other things. So that's going to be exclusively on the Beyond the Mic series. Be on the lookout for that either Tuesday or Wednesday evening and with an uploaded episode complete no later than Thursday. Our holiday schedule pretty much every Thursday seems to be in order. I may take one Thursday just to recoup and that may possibly be next week also because there may be an event in the city that we may be attending but until then as of right now we got a full schedule with episodes on the 8th the 15th the 22nd the week of the 29th new year's week there may not be an episode i was going to probably broadcast wednesday but at this point i think i need to recharge my batteries just a smidge so other than that everything else is pretty much business as usual with regards to that so there may not be an episode the 8th if there is if there isn't i'll let you guys know otherwise same time as always 15th and 22nd are good to go i am also going to be debuting a new series probably this week which is going to be my gamefly q reviews a lot of people have been giving me some shit on twitter about some of the games I'm playing from game, and most of them are just rentals from Gamefly, and a lot of people consider them to be terrible games or shitty games, but there are certain games that are actually very enjoyable that I've played. One of the games I'm working on for a Gamefly Q review is Wanted Weapons of Fate. Don't get me wrong, it's not it's not a fucking te- you know level ten rating on on any game magazine or Metacritic. It's a it's an enjoyable game for all the right reasons. It definitely has a lot of shit going on as well. But I want to talk about that stuff. I think that some of those games that just go under the radar that I just needlessly toss into my queue need need to be given a, a second look. I just finished also playing G.I. Joe's Rise of Cobra, which a lot of people were like, hey, why are you playing this steaming pile of shit? And the funny part of it is that that game, for me especially, I remember playing a G.I. Joe arcade game which involved Duke and Scarlet, and it was pretty much uh, almost a behind-the-shoulder view, similar to Gears of War, but you would just run straight forward shooting. So um, if you guys are familiar with that, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra is similar, and just as enjoyable. Like I said, it's, it's, it's very formulaic. I beat the game, I believe, in two days, so we'll be talking about that. That's going to be the Gamefly Q review. I was talking with Slick about possibly doing them on air, but I seriously doubt you guys give a shit about some of these games, so I'll just do them on the site, read them if you wish. Um, One thing I did want to let you guys know, and some of you have noticed and some of you haven't, and we'll just wrap up the housekeeping with this, is that you any comments you make on articles on our Facebook fan page or on Twitter actually sync with the website. So you'll actually be able to have conversations with people that comment on either medium so if you write a comment on the site and somebody writes a comment in facebook there's a full-fledged conversation going on and some people have noticed it some haven't 
And it's just something I wanted to bring to everyone's attention because the whole reason why we switched to this new commenting system was for that. Um, I, I liked using the other comment system and it was great. But I just figured that to increase engagement, we wanted to do something seamless, especially, like I said, with the demise of the forums, which if you log in to the site, they're still there. Um, the dismantling process has proven to be a little more difficult than I expected, but it'll probably be finalized before the month is over. We are also probably going to be adding some audio reviews directly into articles as well. So that's pretty much it with regards to housekeeping again. Questions, comments, concerns, you want to tell me that you hate the show, you love the show, call the feedback line 347-815-0MTR or 0687. If you have any questions while on the live broadcast, 347-324-3541 is the number to call. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about Bellator from this weekend. We're going to talk some video game news. We got a little bit of what the fuck movie news, including the whitewashing of Akira. So we will talk about that. But I actually wanted to get into this week's opening monologue for two reasons. I wanted to talk about Black Friday and the the madness that ensued. Some of you probably saw a video or two that I posted on our Facebook fan page. And I really just want to put it really simple by saying that people are really fucking savages. We We sit here on our high horses talking about the animals in the Middle East and the people in, in Africa. And it's very easy for us to sit here and disparage other countries for their behavior and the shit they do. But I got the opportunity to see some of the shittiest subhuman behavior this Black Friday. I think people are, 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 are pieces of shit to begin with in a lot of instances. Some are real grade-A scumbags. But when you really break it down to being materialistic and adding to that the the fear of just people just running around acting completely asinine it creates a whole level of shittiness that needs to be discussed as many of you know one of the big things that happened this year was and De Silva beat me to it um someone got pepper spray pepper sprayed uh actually not De Silva dark helmet someone got pepper sprayed in a Walmart for an Xbox game. The woman quote-unquote felt threatened, proceeded to deploy the pepper spray, countless other pieces of shit were running around screaming, rubbing their eyes. There's video out there to prove it. You can look it up on YouTube. And that wasn't the only incident. The funny thing about Black Friday in my eyes is that a lot of the shit that's on sale is usually really shitty stuff. This year's Black Friday deals were primarily games and Blu-rays, not fucking TVs, not that electronic toothbrush that you want to get for your Aunt Betty. Blu-rays and tele and, and um, video games were the name of the game. Anything else? Garbage. And these people, I, um, my wife and I drove my mother-in-law into work. She works in, in a mall, and the mall was opening at midnight. One of the big gripes everybody was talking about was that retailers no longer respect the the working man and the necessity for people to spend time with their families and the fact of the matter is that this is a ben franklin motivated society fuck your turkey fuck your eggnog nobody gives a shit the fact is if you're telling somebody that they can get an xbox for a hundred dollars they will probably leave their dinner still warm put a knife in their boot 
and go to get that Xbox because that savings of a hundred dollars is, you know, some for some people it's huge and and that's fine. I respect that. But for others, it's just a necessity where they go out of their way not to buy just one Xbox, but five of them so that they can sell them and resell them and buy them for their sisters or send them to fucking Guadalajara. When I dropped off my mother-in-law, she she works in a in a shopping center here in here in New York City in in Regal Park, and um, I had a plan. Don't get me wrong, I was gonna partake in the Black Friday foolishness because picking up Green Lantern, Fast Five, Scarface, and um, one other Blu-ray. Oh, and Pulp Fiction for five bucks was too good to pass up. I said to myself, I'm gonna get like six Blu-rays for like forty bucks. So I said to myself, I'll drop off my mother-in-law, we'll drive up to the Best Buy that's in another shopping center up the block, and we'll be good money. We'll get in there, they open at midnight, we'll run in with the rest of the cockroaches, grab our shit, and break out. Sure, I could have bought it online, but I figured since I was out anyway, I would just get it out of the way. Sure as shit, drive down, the mall is completely dark. It looked like something out of Dawn of the Dead. The parking lot was closed. They didn't even open the parking lot. And all I saw were armies and armies of darkness walking up the parking ramp uh, uh, in their turkey-infused stupor to pick up their games. And I'm talking about not 100 people, not 200 people. I'm talking about like five to 600 people walking up this parking ramp like zombies. It really did look like The Walking Dead. I proceeded to roll down my window look up the look up the ramp and go fuck this and proceeded to take my ass back on the highway and go to fuck home later on that day we decided you know oh you know let's hop in the car we're gonna go to another shopping center in long island you know maybe the quote-unquote white people aren't as bad yeah i said it i don't give a shit my wife is white if you're offended turn the dial anyway we drove up there it wasn't that bad but the funny thing was that The people that live in my borough had the same idea. So when I go in there, you see 17 people whose pants were lower than they should have been. Yo, man, we got to get this Xbox. Yo, Madden is $30, son. Yo, grab four copies of that, yo. And I'm not even saying it was black, white, or Hispanic because everybody was fucking guilty. It was a rainbow of failure. You had black people, white people, brown people, yellow people. Everybody's dressed like Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. Tight ass pants. Shit's too low. Yo, we got to get this Madden, son. Yo, who's getting online? The line snaked through the store. I'm like, look, can I just get my fucking Blu-rays and beat it? And that's exactly what happened. Grabbed my Blu-rays, hopped online, got all the shit I needed, and I was out the door. Anybody who went in there at 3 o'clock looking for Uncharted for 30 bucks or any of the other new games that were $30, you fuckers were assed out. And if you weren't, then congrats to you. Otherwise, Amazon. Because Amazon had games pretty much close to that price. Once we left there, we decided to go to Target because my wife wanted Dre Beats headphones, which if you bought them for $170, they gave you a $50 gift card. Did they have any? No, the fuck they didn't. Did we buy a Connect? Yes, the fuck we did. Did my giant freaky ass play Fruit Ninja on the Connect? Yes, the fuck I did all day that Friday. Why? Because I can. Anyway... The whole moral of this story is the fact that no matter how great the deal is, somebody else is going to have a better deal. 
It's as simple as that. And it's just a matter of how badly you want the shit. Are, are you willing to deal with 500 people? Sure. Congrats to you. But the problem with dealing with 500 people is that people forget that you're dealing with 500 people. I was on the line in Best Buy, and this is what I heard. I can't believe how many fucking people are here. I've been on this line for 20 motherfucking minutes. This store fucking is garbage. And I really just wanted to turn around and slap this belligerent asshole right in the face. Not even... See, this doesn't deserve a punch in the face. This is a slap on some real French shit. If I would have had a mitten, I would have slapped him with it. Because, seriously, you know what Black Friday is all about chaos running around trying to get all the deals you can i know people that map this shit out they they go and they use text messaging and they get a fucking map of where they're gonna go and they strategize on some call of duty shit if you're on a line for 20 minutes and it's black friday and you're complaining i have a i have a really good idea soak yourself in water and proceed to plug in a hairdryer in whatever store you're in that way, when you die, you can fall off of the line, and we can keep it moving. Get the fuck out of here. If you go shopping on Black Friday, and you have the nerve to run your mouth. If you're a guy, you need to get kicked in the nuts. If you're a girl, you need a Timberland boot right in the box. I don't give a shit. You know the risks. As soon as this calendar hits November 25th, it is the apocalypse of retail. Don't try to return no shit. Don't try to buy anything. Go, either you buy your shit during the week or you order it online, but keep your mouth shut because nobody wants to hear you complain. Oh, by the way, if it's Black Friday and you're by a mall, don't eat anywhere near the mall because if you don't want to hear screaming kids, belligerent parents, stressed out staff, Get a fucking pizza and go to fuck home. Because that's what I did. Alright. The other thing I wanted to talk about is... I've talked about this particular individual on multiple episodes of MTR. And that is a stand-up comedian by the name of Patrice O'Neill. Patrice O'Neill was a regular on the Opie and Anthony show. A lot of people became hip to him with the Charlie Sheen roast... He's been on numerous specials. He has a comedy special called Elephant in the Room, which you can watch on Netflix. You can also watch it. They're going to be repeating it on Comedy Central. And if you have Sirius Satellite Radio, you can listen to Sirius XM 202. No, actually not 202 anymore. It's um, The Virus, the ONA station. They changed it so many fucking times. Look for it if you got it. And they're going to play all his episodes. Patrice O'Neill suffered from diabetes and he had a heart attack last month. And he actually passed away this month. Um, I believe it was the 29th. He was 41 years old. It was from complications from a stroke that he had. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this, I was actually writing a post for the site about all the all the funny stuff he's done and my memories of him in particular. But the, the thing about Patrice O'Neill, I have a very small list of favorite comics that influence a lot of my outlooks on life and how I am and it pretty much goes like this you got George Carlin Lewis Black Jim Norton Patrice O'Neill and of and of course the Eddie Murphy in on a second list and these these are five comedians that influenced me for multiple reasons 
Patrice O'Neill had a very unique view of the world. Do yourselves a favor and YouTube some of his stand-up, especially from Elephant in the Room. His views on race relations were hilarious. And given the fact that I am in a mixed-race relationship, I, I, I found a lot of humor in that. Patrice O'Neill's comedy is something that was refreshing because it was brutally honest, which I take pride in being. And it just, he didn't pull any punches. And to see him, you know, to hear that he passed away bummed me out personally because I'm a fan of his work. He's a guy I tried to get on the show on numerous occasions. It just didn't work. And it, it bums me out that not only did I not get to enjoy a performance of his live, but I didn't even get to talk to him and and get the get that magic that he gave so many other interviewers throughout his career. So, but you know, Patrice O'Neill, I, I remember him fondly. And his work on ONA was fantastic. Black Dr. Phil will always will always live on, in my opinion. And hearing grown-ass men like Norton, Opie, Anthony, and these guys just break down and just be, be human instead of just being caricatures of themselves was, was huge for me. And I wanted to share that with you guys only because these are people that influence what I give you guys every week. If you ask me what shows influence, I always say O&A, the guys from VGN, and a couple of stand-up comedians, and just my warped view on life. So, Patrice O'Neill, you are a great comedian, and we salute you. Alright, we have some MMA to cover, and with that, I'm not going to waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, the Ultimate Fighter, 14, Bisping, Miller. Not going to go through all the typical shit, because like I said, if you haven't seen it already, you're obviously missing out. We got the finale happening, I believe, this weekend. I got to check my notes. But the last two fights, Johnny Bedford, John Dodson, um, very, very good fight. Dodson definitely has improved every episode. He... Really had fantastic stand-up. He pushed the pace a lot in this fight. And he ended up... It closed... The first round closed out with Dodson catching a kick from Bedford, tripping him, and then kicking him in the belly as he stood up. So Dodson very aggressive in the first round. Second round, uh, great exchange of strikes. Bedford did have the better exchange at one point. Dodson got in a little bit of trouble, and then all of a sudden he just caught Bedford. Boom! It was like a knockout from hell. Bedford got knocked the fuck out. I believe I, I should have had the sound clip for that. Anyway, he did get knocked the fuck out. And um, the funny thing was that the ref actually asked Bedford where he was, and he said Ohio. So the fact that you're waking up and you're saying you're in another state shows that your brain got mangled. So great performance from Dodson. The other fight was Brian Caraway and Diego Brandao. I, I was really expecting a, a better performance out of Caraway, but Diego was not having it. Great exchange early on with Caraway at one point spinning away from a kick, um, a kick that Diego was doing, and this was towards the end of that round. Diego did land a, a hook that actually stunned Caraway, and then he caught him with a knee in the face, at which point it was very formulaic. Diego went to the floor, little ground and pound. 
Caraway did manage to stand up, but Diego just continues to put the, the boots to him. It was it was a complete ass whooping. Brandao looked amazing. Uh, great performance on his part. Some great finalists. Your bantamweight finals are TJ Dillashaw versus John Dodson. And your featherweight finals are Dennis Bermudez and Diego Brandao. The finale is going to be this Saturday night on Spike TV. And I'll go through the rest of the card later on in the MMA segment. Um, a really great closeout to the season. I'm expecting a great fight from Bisping and Mayhem. A lot of trash talking leading up to this. And there are rumors that Chael Sonnen will be meeting the winner of this fight. So the the fanboy in me wants Mayhem to win because I like Mayhem Miller. He's great for the sport. He really goes out there, has a lot of fun. He's a great personality that that just is very easygoing and is, is a great ambassador for the sport. But the 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 sadistic side of me wants Bisping to win only because it's going to be volcanic levels of shit talking from Sonnen and Bisping because it's going to it's going to be serious business Sonnen and Bisping if if they fight it, the the shit talking will be epic and the fight itself is going to be fantastic the only thing is that Bisping I think after that KO by Hendo is hasn't been the same guy so I'm going to be watching this very closely and we'll see how his performance is against Mayhem. It should be interesting, but overall it was just a great, great season and I'm looking forward to seeing the Ultimate Fighter on FX. I wanted to get into Bellator a little bit. Um, I'm not going to go through all the fights, but I do want to talk about um, two fights on there. I want to talk about uh, Patricky, uh, Pitbull Foray versus Kurt Pellegrino. Um, Big fan of Batman from his UFC days where it was my understanding that he retired, which that's how I remember it. But he decided to go and fight in Bellator, fighting the Pitbull at 155. It was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous fight. Pitbull dropped Batman early on with a huge right, chased him down, and then just finished him off with some strikes to the face. Pellegrino's arms were locked. He couldn't even defend himself. Um... The fight ended with a TKO, 50 seconds of round one. Kurt Pellegrino said that this would be the last time you see him fight. Um, I, w I was really bummed. I thought maybe the bug bit him, he'd come back and he'd be successful. But one thing that everybody says, personally, I, I can't vouch for it, but that Kurt Pellegrino is a phenomenal teacher. So I have a feeling that we haven't seen the last of him in some capacity. And the heavyweight tournament final bout with uh, Eric Prindle and Thiago Santos had a very unexpected ending, uh, particularly because Santos, when the round started, Santos went in forward for a takedown and was unloading on Prindle, at which point Prindle stood up, but Santos tackled him back to the mat. Uh, Prindle managed to get himself back up and ended up getting a kick um, in the groin from Santos. It, it was it was a, a pretty vicious kick, obviously un unintentional, and Prindle could not continue. He said he felt like he was going to vomit, and the cage side doctor ruled it a no contest. So it was definitely a shocking ending, but they will meet in a rematch next year. Should be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, Bellator has always delivers solid fights. Um, Eduardo Dantas and Alexis Villa was another fantastic fight at bantamweight at 135. I was surprised that Dantas took the fight via unanimous decision. Alexis Villa looked really good in round one, but Dantas definitely not a slouch. He will be meeting uh, Zach Makovsky for the bantamweight belt. As always, I tell you guys, if you haven't had the opportunity to check out Bellator, you should. 
You can watch it on MTV2. You can also watch it on Epix HD, which is always good as well. And um, give them a shot, man. It's a great promotion. I'm sure they're going to end up on Spike TV, and they deserve all the support they get. They have a great tournament format. Uh, the Michael Chandler-Eddie Alvarez fight that happened uh, the weekend of the Hendo Shogun fight was magical. It was magnificent. If you haven't seen it, once again, YouTube that shit. Michael Chandler was actually a guest this week on MMA Gospel earlier. Uh, Gary Spillbag of Ice did a fantastic job interviewing him. Great guy. I was bummed for my boy, Eddie Alvarez, who's who's a beast. But Michael Chandler, definitely a warrior. He weathered the storm and he came out triumphant by getting the belt. So props to Michael Chandler. And I'm sure Eddie Alvarez, my boy, he'll be back. One of the best fades in the business. Um, Overall, Bellator was fantastic. In some regular MMA news that I wanted to get into, um, XFC 15 tribute is this weekend. Um, it's going to be emanating from the St. Pete's Times forums in Tampa, Florida. It's going to be broadcast on HDNet. And you're probably asking yourself, what the fuck is XFC and why should I be watching it? Number one, it's because of the return of Corey Hill, who's getting back in the cage. For those of you that don't know, Corey Hill suffered a, a very gruesome leg injury when he was competing in the UFC to the point where I was concerned that he'd probably never be back again, but he will be fighting on this card on HDNet. Also, Felice Herrig will be meeting Carla Esparza. Um, nice women's MMA fight. Felice Herrig, um, very great Muay Thai. She was also in the Supremacy MMA game. Look her up. She's also on Twitter. Very cool chick. Um, XFC 15 HDNet tomorrow night on HDNet. Nah, I fucked that up. XFC 15 tribute is December 2nd, sorry, which which is tomorrow, and it will be on HDNet. In some other news, UFC in Japan, UFC 144, 100% official, and Rampage will be fighting Ryan Bader on the card. Great to see Rampage fighting in Japan, especially after the disappointment he expressed for not being able to fight there. Very happy to see Rampage doing his thing. Um... Overall, the card in Japan is going to be insane. Frankie Edgar, Ben Henderson for the lightweight strap, Bader and Rampage, Czech Congo versus Mark Hunt, Yoshihiro Akiyama will be meeting Jake Shields, Joe Lazan is going to be taking on Anthony Showtime Pettis. On the prelims, you got Tim Bocek, Yushin Okami, Steve Cantwell, Ricky Fukuda, Kid Yamamoto's fighting Von Lee, uh, Takeya Mizugaki's on this card, Takanori Gomi's on this card, Hatsuhioki, uh, Tiquan Zhang. I'm very bummed, as always. Hatsuhioki on the prelims sucks. And um, Takanori Gomi. It, Gomi's still great, man. And to see him in the prelims, it, it's disheartening for me, um, especially from all the great matches he had in Japan. But hey, I'll take what I can get. It's bummed, but I, I know for a fact that Hatsuhioki is going to definitely move up the card quick. Gomi, I really hope he gets back on his bicycle, so to speak, and gets the opportunity to showcase his skills here for the U.S. audience because he's a very talented fighter. Um, it's going to be madness either way, but that's going to be happening in Japan, February 26th, Saitama Super Arena in Saitama, Japan. So UFC 144 will be one for the record books. In some other Japanese MMA news, Shinya Aoki will be defending his lightweight belt in Dream's annual New Year's Eve show, he's going to be taking on Satoru Kitaoka in the Dream Fight for Japan. Um, 
it's go, it's going to be a great card. Fedor is going to be on that card. His opponent, I don't know who it is yet, but either way, it's going to be awesome. Um, Bibiano Fernandez will be fighting on that card. Antonio Banuelos will be fighting on that card. Rio Chonan, Sakurai, um, uh, Hiroki Takaya. He's going to be taking on uh, Takeshi Inoue. Um, Kawajiri's fighting. It's sick. Dreams New Year's Eve cards are always fantastic. Once again, HDNet will probably broadcast that. It'll probably be at like 3 a.m. as it was last time when I watched it. Some great Japanese MMA. One thing I got to tell you, the Japanese have great production, fantastic, fantastic entrances. And it's just it's just a different audience. So you definitely need to check that out if you're an MMA fan and you want to check out something different. In some news that I was a little bit disheartened to read about, Chris Lieben has been suspended for one year from the UFC tested positive for prescription painkillers oxycodone and oxymorphone. This is the second time Lieben has been suspended for a failed drug test. The first time he was suspended was in 2008 for uh, Stanzol, um, which is a banned steroid. Dana White went on record as saying the following, I like Chris and I want him to do well, but based on his actions, he's been suspended for one year. If he needs professional help, we're going to be there for him. We want to see him succeed not only in the octagon, but in his personal life. All the other fighters from UFC 138 passed their drug tests. UFC officials did confirm that the prelims for the Ultimate Fighter finale will be streaming live on Facebook. So make sure to go to UFC's Facebook page, like the page, and you can watch the prelims. Lastly, to close things out, we got a, a, couple, of, a couple of stories, primarily about some cards that are coming up. Uh, UFC's... Um, Prelims for 140 will not be on Spike TV because Spike TV will be doing the video game awards. I am contemplating doing a Google Plus Hangout for that. Maybe I'll watch the awards with Slick and we can commentate on camera about the bullshit that goes on with the video game awards. We'll see how that pans out. But the four prelims will be on the Ion Network. UFC 140, December 10th. John Jones, Leota Machida, Frank Mir, Noguera... Little Nog and Tito, Brian Ebersole, Claude Patrick, Mark Hominick versus the Korean Zombie are on your pay-per-view card. Ion is getting um, some really great fights. Uh, Igor Prokryats is taking on Christoph Szczynski, Jared Hammond, and Konstantinos Filippou, Dennis Hallman, and John Mcdesi. All great fights on Ion. Those are the prelims. And then the Facebook prelims, as always, not officially announced as of yet. Rich Antonitos will be Rich, Rich Antonito will be fighting on Facebook. So will uh, John Cholish. He'll be taking on Mitch Clark and Nick Lentz will be taking on Mark Bocek. But those fights have not been confirmed as of yet. Speaking of which, for UFC 140, the countdown will be given on December 7th on Fuel TV. They'll be giving replays the 8th at 1 o'clock in the morning Eastern and the 9th at 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to check out the countdowns. Those are the days to watch them. Former Strike Force heavyweight fighter Brett Rogers, who I talked about getting arrested for domestic violence, has been sentenced to 60 days in jail for his domestic assault incident with his wife. Rogers pled guilty to a single count of felony third degree assault. The two felony account, the two felony accounts for domestic assault by strangulation and stalking were dismissed as was a gross misdemeanor charge of endangering a child. Rogers was sentenced to three years probation in order to have no contact with his wife until he completes a domestic abuse program and receives permission from his probation officer. 
He is also not allowed to partake in any alcohol or drugs. Hopefully, Brett Rogers gets himself together and we can see him because I think there's a lot of potential there that just hasn't been. He, he He's a rock that hasn't been polished yet. And I think he has a lot to offer the sport. He just needs to get past this per, these personal issues and hopefully he can do well. As I said earlier in the show, the tough finale is this Saturday. Bisping Mayhem is your main event. Bermudez and Brandao for the featherweights finale. Dodson and Dillashaw for the bantamweight finale. Eve Edwards will be taking on Tony Ferguson. The prelims will be on Facebook with most of the fighters from the season. One fight I'm very excited about, UFC 141, Lesnar versus Overeem. They'll be giving the countdown for that. Uh, December 21st at 10 o'clock on Fuel TV. They'll be replaying that the 22nd, 23rd, and 28th. UFC 141 will take place December 30th at the Las Vegas MGM Grand Arena. Nice way to close out 2011 and welcome 2012 with some heavyweight violence. Also on that card, Donald Cerrone and Nate Diaz, John Fitch and Johnny Hendricks, Alexander Gustafsson and Vladimir Matyshenko, Nam Fan versus Jim Hetz, and on the prelims, uh, Junior Asun Kao and Ross Pearson, Anthony and Joaquani and Ramsey Najem will be ran- rounding that out. The prelims, which they'll probably give on Facebook, will be Don Young Kim and Sean Pearson, TJ Grant and Jacob Christmas Volkman, how fitting, Luis Ramos and Matt Riddle, and Manny Gambirian and Diego Nunez. So those are the fights you'll be able to look forward to for UFC 141. Alright, we're going to take a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on all games. Alright, gotta give a little homage to CM Punk. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw. We we noticed a couple of things here for this week's episode of Raw, which some were to be expected, others not so much. Of course, this Raw had significance because for many, it is considered the last time that we will see John Morrison on WWE programming. One thing I did notice of this episode of Raw was a, a slight heelish demeanor surrounding John Cena this week. Um, They did the Piper's Pit on Raw. Uh, Typical Roddy Piper ranting and raving as usual with Cena. But the interesting thing out of that exchange was Cena's mannerisms and his behavior. Now, obviously, many people have been saying that John Cena needs a heel turn desperately. And sure, you can take it for what it's worth. Honestly, I feel that John Cena's heel turn needs to go down, needs to happen, because 
it's getting to the point where I'm even starting to hear the kids are booing him. And the funny thing about John Cena's character right now is that the amount of merchandise that's sold, the audience that, that gravitates towards his character are women and young children. Of course, young children for seeing John Cena as a role model, which is fine. I have no problem with that. I just think that in terms of character development and allowing your character to reach a new level, there needs to be um, changes in a, in a character for it to develop fully. I think that when you went from Stone Cold Steve Austin, the ringmaster, to Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Texas rattlesnake, which was the tweener, to Stone Cold Steve Austin aligning himself with with Vince McMahon, full full blown heel, and then turning face, those were things that helped solidify Austin's character. Same thing with The Rock. You had Corporate Rock, Hollywood Rock, and then Babyface Rock, and it and it worked well. Same can be said for Triple H. And even CM Punk, CM Punk, when he was a heel, was one of the best heels that WWE had. And I think that for full character development to come full circle, Cena needs a good heel turn. He needs to go back to the freestyling, the throwback jerseys. He needs to dig that stuff out and dig deep to show fans that there's more to him than his, you know, Fruity Pebble t-shirts and his positive messages. And seeing that, seeing certain tinges of that on Raw this week were it gave me hope because it shows that in terms of character development he gets it and he's starting to show little little cracks in his armor so who knows will he turn heel on the rock at WrestleMania it depends i mean when rock faced stone cold steve austin steve austin turned heel ended up laying out the rock with 75 chair shots we can get the same thing with john cena it's all a matter of waiting and seeing how it pans out now, originally, it was rumored that, well, it was rumored and it was on Twitter as well, that John Morrison would be facing Brodus Clay. Instead, they ended up going with a false count anywhere match against his former tag team partner, The Miz, other than the fact that The Miz really threw a beating with John Morrison, hit him with a pipe in the leg, some kendo sticks were used, skull-crushing finale on the stage to close things out, and that was it. I think that the, the funny thing about this was that it was interesting to see John Morrison's former tag team partner be the guy to send him out. And my, my whole opinion on the John Morrison situation is this. Never, ever, ever, and as crass as this sounds, never let pussy get in the way of making money. I don't give a fuck. If it's coated in gold, money comes first. Because what happens is, and, and, and I'm not put, putting the blame completely on Molina. I'm going by the speculation. If the speculation is correct, then John Morrison is a fucking idiot. Period. He is a fucking moron. Now, if, my, if I'm wrong, then I will humbly agree that I'm wrong. But I think that John Morrison had a tremendous upside for the WWE. He had a lot to give with regards to... Uh, athleticism, great matches. His mic work needed work. His mic work was subpar, but it was there. It's it's just disheartening to see how far he's come. Well, how far he's fallen down the ladder. This is a guy who's been in multiple successful tag teams, from Eminem to Miz and Morrison, even him and Truth. And every guy he's been with, with the exception of Joey Mercury, have been successful without him. 
The Miz is a fantastic example of this, as is our truth And it's disheartening to see him fall so far. And partly, you know, if, again, if if we go by the hype and, and it's Molina, then the guy fucked himself. On the bright side, there's rumors that TNA is interested in bringing him in with Molina. Which, guess what, guy? You can have your cake and eat it too then. But if you fuck up there, then clearly this chick is a problem. She is the anchor that's fucking you up. And I've heard Melina's interviews on Diva Dirt, and she she's she seems very nice on on fa- on Twitter, and her interactions with the fans are genuine. You know, even though I joke about whatever, you know, her sleeping around with Batista and all this shit, you know, whatever. It's the web. It is what it is. I'm not paid to make friends. I'm paid to entertain. Simple as that. But this guy really, if he sacrificed his career for the for for this chick. Now, neither one of you guys have jobs, and what are you going to do now? Sure, you can go to TNA, but you're at the mercy of poor character development and Hogan and Bischoff. And I don't care how pretty you paint the picture, Hogan and Bischoff right now are worse than McMahon. It's as simple as that. I'm all about getting paid. It's... if. But it's like when you work in a job with your wife and your wife proves to be a distraction. You have two options. Either your wife's got to go or you got to go. Or in some cases, you both go. If you're making more money and you're being the provider, then you got to have a talk. Like, look, you are a pain in the ass. You need to go to fuck home or you need to transfer to another department. But this shit's not working. It, it, it's as simple as that. I've realized you can't work with your significant others or your friends in any employment because the lines get blurred and shit gets fucked up. That, that's just something I believe in personally. Some of you may differ, but can't do it. Can't do it. I can't work in an environment with my friends and e- unless it's my own business. And even then, it's a little sketchy because when you got to play the role of, of manager or boss, then you're the, automatically the bad guy. I sincerely hope that John Morrison does well in TNA. Maybe he'll he'll learn a different dynamic of the business. He'll expand his his wrestling uh, repertoire by working with other people. We'll see how it pans out. I think that him going to TNA can be a gift and a curse. But he didn't take the money with WWE, so clearly he can go home, rest up, go to TNA in 90 days. Maybe he'll sign a deal for a year or two. Come back to WWE and that's it. As of right now, he is in the in the WWE alumni section. The Bella Twins and Alicia Fox had themselves a little match. And I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know what this match was? This is... Here's, here's a great example. Have you guys... If you guys have ever seen The Price is Right, there's a game called... I believe it's Plinko. It's one of my favorite games on The Price is Right. And you pretty much take a chip on the top of a, of a ramp and you slide it down and, the ra- and it goes through all these little pegs until it lands in a hole. The Bella Twins, Kelly Kelly, and Alicia Fox are Plinko chips. You slide them chicks down a pole and you hope for the best. Seriously, that's what, it, that's what they are. Plinko chips. They're Plinko broads. I, I'm sorry. And, and, and I feel bad saying it. But it just doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work. The Bella Twins, I, I, I'd rather see them in like Import Tuner Magazine standing next to a car. Because they, they just don't get it. 
I've watched countless matches, and I don't know what crack some of these people are smoking. Oh, the Bella Twins are awesome. In what fucking universe are you watching wrestling? They fucking suck. And I hate their whole double mint twin. Hi, Teddy. Whenever they talk to, like, Teddy Long or anybody who's popular or Alberto Del Rio, I hate their synchronized hi. It's like, shut the fuck up. Figure it the fuck out with these two. Make them valets. Make them managers. Do something with them. But take them off the fucking television till till they learn how to wrestle. And let's not talk about botching Barbie. Because Kelly Kelly, easy on the eyes, terrible in the ring. That's it. It's sad. It's really, really sad that they go and they rush these women to television. Their wrestling is subpar. They don't invest any energy in building them up. And then they pull the rug out when the experiment goes wrong. Then the poor women that do wrestle and they wrestle well have to out undo the mistakes that the other we- that the other divas have made. I mean, I saw an interview with Maurice and she was talking about how they don't, you know, they they just put the divas out there and they hope they hope it sticks, which is which is sad because right now you got a roster full of women, which is funny because I, I I've been doing divas versus knockouts on um on our Facebook fan page and there's there's been some some interesting commentary but these four chicks in a ring together it's like plinko it's like dropping marbles in a fucking toilet and watching them sink to the bottom they there's nothing to it nothing it you know and then the the flipping leg drop from Alicia Fox I I guess they're trying to make her a face I don't know I really I really think that right now she's just looking like she's trying to look like Rihanna and Kelly Rowland, and it's just not working, but some people like this chick, I think she, with a little bit of seasoning and a little bit of work, she'd be alright, right now, yeah, Blandy Borton and Dolph Ziggler had another great match, it seems that Mr. Ziggles is stepping his game up with every wrestler he faces, and um, Mr. Ziggles and Blandy Borton had a really great match, I enjoyed it, very enjoyable match from both guys, Jack Swagger and Zack Ryder, if you thought for one second that this match was going to end in anything less than Zack Ryder winning, you're insane. Because clearly, they are slowly bringing Zack Ryder up the card gradually. Slow burn. And Swagger got to show a lot of his wrestling. He looked really good. I'm just not a fan of of the, the fucking lisp. I don't know. He just seems very vanilla right now. We got a little bit of Mick Foley action. Del Rio and Punk was about as good as you can expect. Very, very solid match from both guys. I just, like I've said before, Del Rio, Ricardo Montalban is missing something. A little bland for my taste. I think with, he just needs to hit his stride. I think playing the soap opera villain slash Rick Martel is just not the move. I don't know if it's because they're not capitalizing on certain factors of his character. I mean, the funniest thing is by taking a, a a guy who's oozing with with per, with character and that's um Ricardo Rodriguez and not just relegating him to a glorified valet. I think that you need to involve Rodriguez more to help Del Rio get over with the fans. 
You're only as good as your as your as the people around you. And Vicky Guerrero is good for that. Sometimes too good because sometimes she she pulls all the heat off whoever she's managing and directs it towards her. But I think that Ricardo Rodriguez has a lot to offer, especially in his relationship with Del Rio. And there's more to it. You can have a lot of fun with that. Del Rio, his wrestling is good, but he just seems very vanilla when he comes out with his tidy whitey fucking briefs and you know his stupid scarf. I mean, it's cool he wants to come out with the cars, and that's that's great, and that adds to his to his character. But he needs a little bit more panache, a little bit more style. He just seems very bland. I just feel like I'm watching fucking Telemundo when that nigga comes out. Wow, that was a truly, truly hood delivery. But yes, Del Rio comes out, and he's really on, on some Telemundo shit. I really just, I watch it, and I'm waiting for like a woman to come out in like a breathy voice, like... Déjame quieto, Alberto. No me toques. Like, we just need shit like that. Like, like that's what I see when I see Alberto Del Rio. Just some real soap opera shit. Like, I see him like, Cállate, mujer! Just yelling at some woman and, and the woman crying in the corner. Like, like that's him. And it, and it sucks. Because people aren't good for that shit. Like, like American audiences, especially in the Midwest and the South... They're just going to be like, this Mexican comes out here in his fancy cars. His wrestling ain't even all that good. Seriously, like, do more with him. Mainstream him a little bit and help him lose that god-awful poor accent. That fucking, you know, that really bad Latino accent that we're all associated with. It's it's a, it's appalling. It's like, dímelo perro. It's like, it's like, dude, put on a fucking sombrero and sell me a taco at this point. Because it's embarrassing what they're doing to him. And then, you're like I said, you're not using that gold mine, that gold mine of Ricardo, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez. Not using it. And as such, CM Punk said it in his promo, like, dude, nobody gives a fuck about you. You are a cornball. Couldn't have, couldn't have been any further from the truth. Punk is 100% right. He is a fucking cornball. Moving on, we were treated to a live SmackDown this week, which wasn't bad. Um, we had a Divas Mistletoe on a pole match. That's all I got to say. A Divas Mistletoe on a pole match. How about this? How about a diaphragm on a pole match? Why don't we just have that? Why don't we make it exciting? Why don't we just put a tampon on a, on a pole match? Let's just do that because this is how absurd it's gotten with the Divas. And TNA is going back, reverting to that shit too. Let's do a lingerie Thanksgiving match because, you know, Karen Jarrett is annoyed with the... Ugh, shut the fuck up. Let these women wrestle. I don't want a mistletoe on a pole match, especially when the whole point of it is that they'll be cashing in the mistletoe for a special prize anytime between now and Christmas. So let me get this straight. I'm going to go out there and beat another chick's ass to get a mistletoe to kiss some motherfucker who I don't even give a fuck about. Where is the plot development? Where is the wrestling? Where is it? Because I really want to know where the fuck it is. Sure as hell wasn't in that match. Justin Gabriel and Jinder Mahal was... I think it was more an exhibition of how good Gabriel is and not so much Jinder Mahal. I mean, they did move his storyline forward with Ted DiBiase. A couple of things I want to discuss... Uh, Justin Gabriel goes on Twitter and calls himself the South African werewolf. I guess he is saying that he looks like Llama Face from Twilight. I don't know. I always considered him more Adam Lambert, but 
whatever. He's just uh, very strange, very strange. Um, of course, beautiful 450 splash as always to close things out. Jinder Mahal, he needs to figure it the fuck out. Yeah, you want to cut the foreign promo and be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I, 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 I use the terrible Indian accent. I, I'm sorry. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why don't you stop using these racial overcoats? That's what I'm going to call them from now on. Racial overcoats. Put on this racial overcoat of foulness. Because that's how it's going to work. We're going to take this racial overcoat. And, you know, as soon as you walk into Vince's office, oh, what are you? Some kind of Mexican? Oh, well, we're just going to make you either a Latino gang member or a telenovela villain. Great. You're done. If you're Indian or Middle Eastern descent, oh, we're going to make him a fucking terrorist or an oil sheik or something terrible. Like, there really is that overcoat of of race that they got to put on. Here, like, put on this racial overcoat. <laughs> Handle your business. It's it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Here, Jinder Mahal, you are going to be a, a, an Indian prince with a lot of money. And you're going to come out and talk like this. And you're gonna be, hey, chal, chal, Kali, chal, and you're gonna uh, shut up, shut up, have some curry goat and shut you the fuck up. It's it's embarrassing. These racial overcoats are sickening. They're doing it with Unico. He comes out with his with his typical Mexican shit, and they have the little singing, and it's like Yo soy Unico, and it's like yo, you, no, you're not. You are a motherfucker. I pick up at Home Depot. That is what you are. You come out in a Dickies shirt and Dickies pants, and I gotta take you seriously. You were seen cara negro, and now you are negro cleaner. Like, like, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And, and I don't blame the wrestlers because they're just there to get paid. They're there to entertain and get paid. But these racial overcoats in wrestling are an embarrassment. They're an embarrassment. If you're a Hispanic female, they always want to make you fiery. You want to be the fiery Latina. If, if you're a Hispanic male, you're either a car thief, a landscaper, or like I said, a novela villain. If you're not anything other than the stereotypical, you know, white or black, you're everything else. Because let's, let's be honest, if you're Samoan, you're automatically a coconut thrower. <laughs> Seriously. Every it, it, the minute you're Samoan, it's like up oh, coconut thrower gimmick. Give it to them. Why why not just make these guys come out in banana necklaces and grass skirts and finish insulting them? Seriously. <laughs> Slick says I could not take coconut thrower with a straight face. Uh, you could. <laughs> you're right. I couldn't. I couldn't. But but seriously, it really is like the racial overcoats uh, of this industry, and it's embarrassing. If you're anything, it's automatically boom the race card. Like I'm really waiting for them to, when when they when Mark Henry was in his heel turn, I remember they started calling him the Silverback, and I said to myself, you do realize you are calling Mark Henry a monkey. Regardless of what preconceived notions you have that Mark Henry does or does not resemble Donkey Kong, you're basically calling the man a monkey. Like, it's like, he is the silverback. It's, it, and I said to my, and I just, it, it was really facepalm to forehead. I said, wow, you guys really are calling him a monkey and trying to make it seem like it's a badass connotation. You are calling the man a monkey. 
You are. Oh, he's the silverback. Yes, when you think silverback, you think dangerous gorilla. When you think silverback. When you call a black person a silverback, it's like me calling Slick up and going, Hey, Slick, what's going on? He goes, Hey, man, how's it going? And I go, Hey, Slick, you want some watermelon? Slick is going to be like, What the fuck is that, dude? The fuck? That's exactly how it is. Like, these guys... Like, Booker T, Booker T, when he does commentary, oh, yeah, you know, he and my fave five, yo. It's like, Booker T, do you really talk like that? Like, are you really that guy? Paul Mooney said it best in his stand-up. You know, everybody wants to be a nigga, but they don't want to be one. You know, you want to be with your pants hanging off your ass, listening to hip-hop, but when the cops pull you over, oh, no, officer, hello, officer, good afternoon, officer. Same rules apply in wrestling. You want to be, you want to be on TV, but you don't want to be typecast as the black guy or the brown guy or the yellow guy. Like, why is it that every Asian that's wrestled in the WWE is always a caricature of, you know, the bucktooth Asians in the old silent films? Seriously, think about it. Yoshitatsu, Tajiri, Funaki. I can go down the list. It's always like, ha, oh, oh, hello, yes, hello, 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 number four, yes. Like, it's always that. That's always what you see. It's never an intelligent Asian character or an intelligent Asian wrestler. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, yes, hello, number two, good afternoon. Yes, hi, hi, hi. I will bend down. Yes, yes. Come on, man. There's more to it. I liked what Jeff Katz was doing with the Wrestling Revolution Project because he was going beyond these personas and creating great new ones, which I like. And and I'm looking forward to seeing when it when it comes out. My rant on that is exactly what it is. Wrestling has racial overcoats. And the sooner we accept it, the faster we can move on. Let's go down the rest of these SmackDown matches. Kofi Kingston, Tyson Kidd, very good match. I really don't know who Tyson Kidd pissed off that he's not looking like he should belong because he really does belong at least in the mid-card challenging for an IC belt. The kid was the last graduate from the Hart Family Dungeon. He is a phenomenal wrestler, but he never gets his just due. It's like they start a push, they stop a push. They start a push, they stop a push. It's unfortunate because the kid has a lot of talent. We did some shit with Hornswoggle and a wish and oh my god he wants to talk. Ugh, shut up. Randy Orton fought David Starscream Otunga. Um Otunga wrestling is the equivalent of a bowel movement. And I'll tell you why. You ever eat some bad food and you're driving and you know the turtles poking out and you hope to god that you get home so that you can take a really good shit. David Otunga is that really good shit. In other words, he's great to see on TV, but in limited doses. You don't want to take a great shit every day, but you want to take a good one on occasion to clean yourself out. David Otunga's wrestling was exactly that. It was cleaning out the shit that is his gimmick. And it was what it was. David Otunga at this point is good for getting clowned by CM Punk and wearing really cool bow ties. He's one of the few piss-colored individuals that I think can actually wear a bow tie well. He really needs to tighten up his wrestling a bit more, and he needs, he needs, wow, that was a nice little eBay alert. He needs to really get out of that, that really, really, really big rut 
that is being Jennifer Hudson's husband. Because it's very easy to clown him on that. He needs to work to set himself apart from that gimmick. Saying he's a Harvard graduate, while it is great and all, it's not exactly what I give a shit about. Really isn't. David Otunga is a really good shit that cleans out your system. In other words, he's good to have there for, you know, talks with John Laurinaitis. But in terms of wrestling, I don't want to see the dude. I don't. Take your shit and flush yourself. Doesn't work. Take your little bow tie wearing ass and beat it. Then we had an All I Want for Christmas Battle Royal, which you knew as soon as I saw Hornswoggle on my fucking television more than for five minutes, I knew it. I knew that he was going to win. And sure as shit he did, and they made a wish, and his wish was that he can talk. When the hell did fucking My Little Pony come into the WWE? When did all this fantasy fantasy shit become the norm. I understand you can get away with it with The Undertaker, and that's great, but we all know a Hornswoggle can fucking talk. Don't insult my intelligence by telling me that a little quote-unquote Irish midget cannot speak, and that everybody can understand. It's the equivalent of Scooby-Doo talking and everyone understanding. Stop. Stop insulting my intelligence. Now, the high point of the evening was Mark Henry and Daniel Bryan's steel cage match. Which was actually surprisingly good. And a lot of people were saying, oh yeah, you know, Daniel Bryan got played in that match. No, he didn't. No, he did not. Daniel Bryan's performance in that match was what I like to call a trial by fire. In other words, they're showing how well Daniel Bryan can work with different types of performers. Whether it's a a big man, little man match, a cruiserweight match. If you've noticed, Daniel Bryan's had matches like this with multiple people of various styles. Whether it's guys like Sheamus or guys that have a more high-flying style like Sin Cara, uh, main eventers. Now you're getting into into you know super heavyweights. Daniel Bryan can hang. So this, is to me, is a trial by fire. And I wouldn't doubt that Daniel Bryan will cash in this belt, soon, this um, Money in the Bank briefcase, sooner rather than later and become a champion. They teased it on SmackDown last week, which I'm sure was to see how well the crowd would accept it. The crowd went fucking ape shit. And um, at this point, I think that Bryan has the tools to carry a main event, um, a main event match. And not only that, I, he has the 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 persona to be a face for that organization. Daniel Bryan is very clean cut. He's a guy you can put in front of an interviewer in on the on on television. He's presentable. He is a uh, a milder version of a mainstream Miz. And the reason I use the Miz as an example is because the Miz, besides being a conniving heel, has great screen presence. The Miz is a guy you can put on a red carpet. An interviewer can come up to him, ask him 50 questions. He can answer coherently, correctly, and clearly. And Daniel Bryan can do the same thing. He's educated. The man has a great wrestling pedigree. And the fans really want to root for the underdog. And I think that it really is a testament that they put him in there, even though he didn't have to forfeit the money in the bank the bank briefcase against Mark Henry. It, it was good. It was very, very, very good. And I know some people shit on the match and whatever, but to me, this was a test and Daniel Bryan passed. Simple as that. Let's get into the other wrestling news. Let's talk about a name that we probably haven't heard of in heard about in years. And that is former WWE WCW wrestler Sean O'Hare, also known as Sean Hare. He was a member of the Natural Born Thrillers. 
He was in a tag team with Chuck Palumbo. He was in a tag team with Mark Jindrak. They were Jindrak and O'Hare. The reason I'm mentioning him is because he was arrested in Georgia on battery charges. He had a bond that was set up for $1,850 for battery. So yes, another wrestler in the papers for nothing good. Kurt Angle did a couple of tweets earlier this week talking about his progress for the his return to the Olympics. He stated that he's already qualified for the final Olympic trials in June and he will be in the official Olympic trial qualifier tournament in April in Iowa. He states that he is ready to go. I'm definitely interested in seeing Kurt Angle perform in the Olympics, not only because it's a great test for him as an individual, but because of the press that it can get TNA because he is an active professional wrestler competing in the Olympics. Should be interesting to watch. I wish Kurt Angle the best, and I will be watching closely. Matt Hardy, who I already told you got a got himself kicked out of rehab and and was sitting in jail, was released earlier this week. He uh, posted his bond and was sent home. Charges for him are currently pending. As of right now, it is said that he will need to complete his rehab and stay clean. Otherwise, he is going back in jail with a serious bond and more charges. And it wouldn't be a wrestling segment with acknowledging some fuckery from Hulk Hogan on Twitter. Somebody really needs to take that old man's Twitter account away because he always says some real foul ball shit. And this week, he sent a tweet out regarding Garrett Bischoff, son of Eric Bischoff, who they are slowly pushing as a babyface in TNA, um, feuding with, of course, his father. Now, don't get me wrong, Garrett Bischoff is young, he has a, a, a decent pedigree behind him, and he can probably become a passable wrestler and a good face, but... Hulk Hogan sent out a tweet this week that I just read, and it I was disgusted. The tweet read as follows. Taping in Orlando, Garrett seems to have found the magic. I only hope it rubs off on some of the other numbskulls. Now, you can interpret this a couple of ways. Either he was talking to somebody, in some insiders, or he was referring to members of the TNA roster. Garrett Bischoff is the son of Eric Bischoff. He is the equivalent of David Flair, only with a, a few better looks and a little bit better wrestling. But he is still a zero in the wrestling industry. He is the son of a guy. It's like, I'm the friend of the guy that knows a guy. That's what Garrett Bischoff is. And to sit there and say that you hope that the magic from Garrett Bischoff rubs off on numbskulls in his organization there are guys in that wrestling company that can out wrestle garrett bischoff his mom their dogs the horses on the ranch hulk hogan himself even jesus for that matter and for you to sit there and publicly disparage your roster is just an embarrassment it is an embarrassment and, and, and hulk hogan this is a guy who's been an icon who who I grew up watching Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling cartoons. I had a Hulk Hogan uh, thumb wrestler. I had the big rubber wrestling figures. I even think I had a Hulk Hogan, one of those pillow wrestlers that was a Hulk Hogan one. I went to see No Holds Barred in the theater. No Holds Barred in the theater with Zeus. I watched Suburban Commando. I watched all the shit that Hulk Hogan was involved in. Rocky Three, where he was in that. Hulk Hogan has been a part of my life since I was a kid. And over the years, whether it's the things that I've read, some of the shit I've seen in Hogan's no, Hogan Knows Best, the shit with his, with his son and the car accident and the interview that he made that got recorded, I just lost respect for him as a man. 
Not as a performer. As a performer, he will always be an icon in this business. But as a man, as an individual that can sit there and publicly disparage his own company when he himself is a parasite. You, It's like, stay the fuck out of the spotlight, dude. Stop blowing smoke up your boy's son's ass. Cut it out. How about you just stay in the company and shut the fuck up and collect the check? It's it's an it's an embarrassment. It's like me going on Twitter saying something disparaging about one of the one of the people that write for the site. It, it really just is poor character. There's better ways to do things. Don't get me wrong. There's people I deal with on a, on the show front, not my staff, but just other entities and other personas and other quote unquote companies and brands that I deal with that they are complete assholes that I don't respect. And I'd rather not deal with them than disparage them publicly. Don't get me wrong. I, when when we did the charity event and I went on that rant when the show started, that was the extent of my public flogging. And I did that not, not for the benefit of those who I had issues with, but because I was frustrated with the way things went. If Hulk Hogan is frustrated with the quote-unquote numbskulls in his organization, then why don't you lead by example and tell the numbskulls what they're doing wrong? Be a leader. Don't be a detriment. If you see a guy wrestling and you think that that guy has the tools but needs to work on his mic skills, tell the guy he needs to work on his mic skills. Don't go to fucking Twitter and say, oh, this guy fucking sucks. It's embarrassing, and it paints your organization as being disorganized and confused. It's bad enough when Dixie Carter goes out there and sends out a tweet that sometimes makes no fucking sense. Who the fuck told, showed her how to use Twitter? But seriously, be a leader. Lead. Lead your troops. Be that guy. Don't be the guy that nobody wants to deal with because they consider you a scumbag. It's, it's it's a sad state of affairs. <sighs> yeah, well, I can't, I can't, I can't even beat this up. With that said, let's talk video games. All right. Let's open it up with Gears of War first. Obviously, Gears of War 3 was supposed to be brothers till the end, the end of the series. But, you know, in the video game industry, it's never really the end. Now, is it? It's being rumored that Gears of War will be getting a series of prequels that will continue the franchise. According to Video, game tw video Games 24-7, there are reports from the U.S. version of the Xbox magazine that the, pre that the prequels may be developed by Bulletstorm developer people can fly as of right now the report is not considered fact nor speculation it's just floating out there so take it as you will honestly the gears of war franchise ended on a somewhat high note i have i have my my issues with the way it went but i think that if a story is finished the story is finished stop digging it up and squeezing it for all it's worth this has been done with halo People, are, people will see through it and see that it's a cash grab. Why don't you invest your energies in building a new, a new set of characters and a new set of stories that people can get behind and give a fuck about? Sadly, it seems to not be the case. For those of you that are playing Gotham, C uh, Gotham City, Arkham City, 
get ready for some new challenge maps. According to the Arkham City News Twitter, the Batcave Arena will be available, as will the Iceberg Lounge and the Joker's Carnival. You can expect that content out on or near December 20th. In some Xbox Live news, Verizon has put out a report that they will be releasing files programming for Xbox 360 owners. If you have an Xbox Live Gold account and are a Files subscriber, you will be eligible to receive 26 channels on Files from Files on your Xbox. Now, excuse me, I'm currently testing the new Xbox Live dashboard. I recorded a walkthrough yesterday. I don't have a capture card, so I've been trying to record a walkthrough of the dashboard with my video camera. I will be posting that this evening. I'm not going to do it as a post because I don't want to get in trouble with Microsoft, but I will be uploading the video on the fan page, and um, you can check that out. Needless to say, I'm very excited to see that. I think that the 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 console has evolved beyond playing just video games. Obviously, we've seen that with the PS3 and Blu-ray. I think that consoles have the opportunity to usurp cable companies and become a new a new avenue for people to enjoy programming and not be at the mercy of a ton of shit. One of the things in the new Xbox dashboard is the UFC channel that they set up, which I'm going to be discussing also, and you'll be seeing that when I put the video walkthrough up later on this evening. I think that Xbox and Sony are are on the right path with regards to creating a complete media center experience with your television. We are a connected society at this point, and having all this stuff accessible on your Xbox is very, very good. Personally, I like being able to play a game while I'm still playing it. I can go and maybe see add some movies to my queue on Netflix, wrap up the game, hop on Netflix, and keep it moving. Nice and seamless. It makes things interesting. Um, seeing stuff like this makes me very happy. I really am excited at the concept and the fact that the Xbox Live service is going beyond just being a communication uh, method for gamers on the same platform. So we shall see how it pans out, but be on the lookout for that video later this evening. Obviously, with Black Friday behind us, a lot of game companies are tooting their horns at some of the great numbers that they made. Uh, Reggie fils from uh, Nintendo of America told USA Today that Nintendo has set new records over Black Friday. According to the article, Super Mario 3D is now the fastest-selling portable Mario game ever and has sold over half a million copies since its November 13th launch. 3DS sales have also spiked. According to the info provided by Nintendo System, sales were up 325% for the week of November 20th over the previous week, and sales were up 49% over the week of November 6th. Also, the Wii had its best Black Friday ever with Nintendo reporting over 500,000 systems sold just on Black Friday, including early store openings from the night before. Now... Here's, here's an interesting thing I want to discuss. Super Mario Land 3D is the fastest-selling portable Mario game ever. Here's, here's a reason. Number one, it's a new Mario. Number two, it is a first-party title. Number three, it's a title that should have been out when the 3DS was out to sell units. Of course everyone's going to fucking buy it. 
Nintendo continues to not acknowledge the fact that the only reason that they do the numbers that they do is because they are busy hugging the little Italian plumber's nuts. Without Mario, you are nothing. Simple as that. Without Mario, Nintendo ain't shit. And don't tell me that Link Link is, is, is the flagship. No, the fuck he ain't. He is not the flagship. Neither is Kirby. Neither is anyone. You think Nintendo. You think Mario. You think Sega. You think Sonic. It's that simple. And the whole reason is because Mario is accessible to everyone. You can buy your 3DS with with, with uh, Super Mario Land now. You can pick up and play that game at any time. And it's a game that transcends colors races ages generational gaps mario will always be mario simple as that mario will always be the crown jewel of nintendo and the problem that annoys me is that for a guy who's the crown jewel of your company you guys give mario no love because all you do is toss fresh coats of paint and then when you finally do something new with mario you never release it with the console. People got to sit around with their thumb up their ass waiting for that magical moment when they can play a new Mario adventure. It's, you know, you you can't. Mario is a an entity, a character. He is he is a brand in himself. And Nintendo just never really embraces it the way they should. And sure, you're going to tell me that sales were up 325%. Of course they were because you released a flagship game for your number one handheld on the busiest shopping week of the year. Of course you're going to make money. And then, oh yeah, you know, everybody sold, you know, the we had the best Black Friday ever because it was 100 bucks at this point. And they figured what's the, you know... Maybe they'll put out some good games. And you know what? A lot of those people probably wanted to play the new Zelda that came out on the Wii, so they just plunked down there like, fuck it, it's 100 bucks. I, I love Nintendo. They, Nintendo was a huge part of my childhood. And you're probably saying to yourself, oh, you know, Rich, Rich is shitting on Nintendo. Blah, he's an Xbox and Sony fanboy. No. If you think that, you can go fuck yourself. I grew up with Nintendo. I did. I got the first Nintendo in 1985, I believe, with Super Mario and Duck Hunt. It was a gift from my from my godfather. At I ended up unwrapping it that same night and played Mario and Duck Hunt till sunrise. I did clay shooting. I did fucking clay shooting. I thought clay shooting was the shit when I was a kid. I, I shot the dog multiple times thinking that he would die. Sadly, he didn't. Hated that fucking dog. And I played Mario. Super Mario 2 came out. Played it from sun up till sundown. Super Mario 3, I went to see the wizard in the theaters. I creamed in my little fucking tiny kid shorts when I saw Super Mario 3. I did. Because I was a kid, and it was important. I had a power glove. Yes, I did. That fucking giant, dongle-laden piece of shit that was so awesome in The Wizard, I own that shit. I own Rob the Robot from Gyromite. I played Clash of Demon Head, Kid Nicky Radical Ninja, Bad Dudes, every Zelda game. So, for, to, for me to be this annoyed with Nintendo, it takes a lot. Seriously. 
Super Mario 1 through 3, Super Nintendo, Super Mario World, Fighter's Destiny, which I ended up buying, Killer Instinct on Super NES, the green screen Game Boy. You know, are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Anybody that says that I shit on Nintendo for uh, on the strength that I shit, you're out of your fucking mind. I am disgusted at the fact that Nintendo holds on to a model that only works because they can't get past their own nostalgia. That's what it is. Nintendo doesn't see the big picture. The big picture is Xbox Live communication. It's Xbox Live talking. You know, it's it's being able to integrate with other platforms. It's not needing a fucking Wii friend code. It is first party titles available within a reasonable time span that people don't lose sight of their consoles. That's what it is. That's where success is measured. Nintendo should have been should be the number one console always because they have a stable of great first party titles but they just don't release them accordingly and then they end up doing really crazy shit that people just don't end up liking you're gonna put out a 3d system charge 250 dollars out put out handheld equivalents of games that already exist and no first party titles and you expect people to buy these fucking systems at 250 bucks you're out of your fucking mind 169 is a good price for the 3DS. First party titles can help move it forward and Nintendo I I believe they finally figured it out, but has the damage already been done? Is it too late? Can the Wii U save them? Will you be able to play it with two of the fucking screens that it comes with? Who knows at this point. But I tell you what, an experience on the Kinect is a lot easier than playing it on the fucking Wii. Just, just something I throw out there. But the Connect is another novelty, so don't, don't call in or leave me any voicemail saying that I'm, you know, kissing Microsoft's ass. It's not that. It's just that I've become disenchanted with Nintendo based on the belief that they refuse to evolve forward. And I don't mean evolve forward with, with um, hardware. I'm just talking about business tactics. I'm talking about releasing first-party titles when new systems come out. You know, common sense shit that every manufacturer is guilty of because Sony's fucked up too once in a while. Microsoft has got it pretty right. They put out usually one or two solid fucking titles to sell units. Nintendo, oh, we're just going to release Cooking Mama, Chicken Shoot, fucking Jenga, a thousand other games. Oh, we're going to release the Crying Baby game. That's what we're going to do. You're going to take the Wiimote and you're going to cradle it like a crying baby. Oh, don't shake the baby too much. He might die. Nintendo, sometimes you just disappoint me. Moving on, Microsoft. Black Friday numbers for them were record-breaking as well. 960,000 Xbox 360s were sold, along with 750,000 Kinects. I added to that number, as did Josh, who bought a Kinect for his daughter as well. Should be noted, these numbers are from Saturday, November 19th through Friday, November 25th. They do not include Cyber Monday. So Microsoft at this point said that it has had the biggest week in sales in, in sales history for Xbox. EA also put out their numbers. Battlefield 3 sold 3 million copies in November. They shipped 12 million, of which 8 million have already been sold. There are still 2 million units that are being shipped for the month of November. 10 million units were shipped the first week. So Battlefield 3, super successful. Two last bits of gaming news to wrap things up. 
GamePro, a publication that I've read for years, it has announced recently that it is closing its doors. Originally, they had announced that they were switching to quarterly, but as it turns out, they are closing up shop completely. GamePro will cease print and online publication after 20 years. The website it closed down uh, will be closing down December 5th, and you will be able to just get PC World information instead. When you go to GamePro.com, you'll be directed to PC World. GamePro will now be refocusing its U.S. business exclusively on its growing uh, publishing and solutions businesses. They'll probably continue the E3 magazine for the press at E3, but any articles and publications for the gaming community are all but done. So, not only is this the end of a magazine that I've read for, for years, I, the occasional Game Pro is always by my toilet, but it's just another another death knell for the magazine industry, only because we're we're at a we're at a stage in the game where you can pretty much get all this content on the web, or you can get it via websites, or whether it's us or anybody else or RSS readers, and nobody nobody's going to sit there and, and pay five bucks for a magazine when you can get the same content on website A for free. It's, it's a sad but true evolution of the business model when it comes to print, and I have a feeling it's not going to be the first magazine that's going to go that way. It happened with Wizard, which we discussed a couple of months back. It's happening with GamePro. Happened with EGM for a bit, and then they brought EGM back, so... The only one that's still around is Nintendo Power. They, those motherfuckers, they, they, they will. I think they will survive any evolution of medium, only because Nintendo goes out of their way to make Nintendo Power interesting. So, props to them for that. As I said, the UFC on Xbox Live was supposed to be launching with the December 6th dashboard. It seems that they will be delaying it for three weeks. It's going to be available December 20th. Just in time for UFC 141. Obviously, the Xbox Live app will be open to everybody with a gold account. You'll be able to access all the content if you have a gold account. If you have a silver account, you'll probably be locked out of a couple of things. You're going to get live pre-fight content. You're also going to get supplementary videos. You're going to get fight picks. And you're going to have an interactive fight card, which I've talked about. You'll be able to do fight picks with your friends on Xbox Live. You'll be able to watch UFC pay-per-views in standard and high definition just by ordering them through your Xbox. You don't even need to use your cable provider. So, nice uh, nice little bit of programming for the Xbox, which I'm sure MMA fans will appreciate. And I know a lot of them will be gravitating towards that. Alright, I am going to go right into movie news. Why so serious, comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? Sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? Heath Ledger welcomes us with the movie segment this week. And primarily I played that also because we got some Dark Knight news. Christian Bale did a little bit of press for the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, one particular thing that everybody was talking about was the fact that he will not be doing any more Batman films. He said, we wrapped the film a few days ago and this will be the last time that I remove this cowl. I believe, I believe that the whole production wrapped 
and it's done, everything's finished. Me and Chris, this will be the end of the Batman era. When asked about Tom Hardy as Bane, he said, I know that Bane has been in movies before, but in my eyes, Tom, Tom is essentially creating Bane for the first time, so there's great freedom for him to be able to do so. When asked about Anne Hathaway and her portrayal as Catwoman, he went on to say the following. When Chris watched the screen test, he agreed that Anne did a wonderful job. In many ways, she has the hardest job. There are a number of people who feel that the Catwoman role has been defined already. So I always saw Anne's role as being the toughest job for any of us. In my case, I've stopped referencing outside sources. I now reference Chris's own world of Batman as a guide to what I will continue to do. I think that Christian Bale's body of work as the Dark Knight is definitely the gold standard at this point. I think that every film that was put out after the Dark Knight and the Batman franchise movies, um, especially those with Christopher Nolan, are the measuring stick. Many people want to always go dark with every film because Batman going dark was the gold standard. I think that with regards to that, that is a, a great way to to close out that that particular body of work. Hopefully, it will surpass the Dark Knight in terms of quality, which is always an expectation we all have. But I really feel that Christian Bale has proven that he can do what was set what was set out for him which was deliver a great batman story which he did christopher nolan did a fantastic job with it sure batman sounded like clint eastwood but it's a small small gripe in an otherwise flawless portrayal of the dark knight great storytelling and i'm sure people have their their issues with certain aspects of these films but overall they were always enjoyable well written fantastic dialogue and perform great performances from guys who you didn't even think were going to be great performers we can talk about michael jai white in the first batman movie we can talk about eric roberts we can even talk about um gary oldman who of course is amazing as always heath ledger just going down the list um we can we can talk about harvey dent and his character and the great writing that was done for him i think that the batman nolan well the bale nolan era was important in just giving people a new spin on this particular franchise and it only works to set the franchise higher so that whoever takes over can work harder to surpass bale and nolan can it happen possibly we'll see i've just been notified that slick is on the line let's see what he has to add slick brother what's going on what's up man what do you got for me my friend um you know, we're hearing that uh, Bale's not going to do Batman anymore. I don't know if, if Nolan's going to con- continue to work on it because we all know that it won't be the last Batman movie because this movie's going to make a shitload of money. True. Um, I feel like since um, Michael Keaton first did Batman back in the 90s, we've had a, a bunch of Batman movies and... It's pretty much, even though some of them outside of this, this trilogy have been decent, it's pretty much the same thing they're doing with Superman. They keep telling the same stories over and over again. True. Basically, especially with, with um, what's the name, leaving the, the role, it'd be good if either they... they go on to some of the newer or at least different stories 
like pick some of the more more obscure villains. Like again, they could have Batman fight someone like Killer Croc or something, or yeah, go Batman Beyond. I think going Batman Beyond would be a, a, a very extreme departure from the roots that they have, but it would be a great spin on it. I think it would be give an opportunity to a good director to test himself and see if he can evolve the Batman character forward. I'm all for it. I think that the problem with Batman is that people like to play it safe and they'd like to give the audience their own interpretation from origin all the way up. Because if you look at it, think of Batman's origin in the Michael Keaton films, then think of Batman's origin in the, you know, in the Nolan films. And you'll see that they, they're two substantially different takes on it. And each one plays to the strengths of, of keeping them grounded in the, in the sense of the, the, the Nolan films, everything was grounded in a, in a, in a more realistic sense where a guy with a lot of money can achieve some of the things that Batman achieved. Now, when you look at, the Tim Burton Batman films, you see that, you know, you take a guy, you shoot him in the face, you drop him in toxic waste, he survives, and the only thing he has to show for it is a powdery white face and a big grin. There's no realism in that, but the audiences can appreciate it because that's a story that they felt comfortable with. In the Batman, in the Nolan universe, I, you know, it was completely different because the Joker just showed up. The Joker always existed, which was good. I hear what you're saying, and that's the other thing. It's like, it's kind of hard to stray away from the Joker just because the Joker is so important to the entire Batman mythology. Like, you pretty much can't have Batman without a Joker. Right. But, I mean, everybody, no matter what you do, you could wait a year, five years, 20 years. If you do another Joker, all they all people are going to do is compare him to Heath Ledger. Right, but you know what? Heath Ledger was compared to Jack Nicholson. You see what I mean? So there's always going to be that 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 motivation to outdo or or create your own unique persona of that character. But that's the reason why I'm saying they definitely need to go a different route, like. I'm kind of disappointed, even though I'm sure I'm positive they'll be better. I'm kind of disappointed they even brought Bane back. I'm like, he's been done. Right, he's, Bane. He's done horribly, but he's been done. Right, but you know why the the thing with Bane, when you look at Bane's character, and if you've read read up on it, I was reading up on the character, and they were saying that this particular Bane wears the mask as an inhaler for a gas to prevent him from being in excruciating pain. So, you know, they, they ground it in realism to a point where it's not completely ridiculous. Like, they're like, yo, what's this dude doing walking around with a Rey Mysterio mask and garden hoses in his, in his back? But I do understand what you're saying. You have to, you have to pull it out of, his, out of his element and go into those other stories and stop trying to reestablish an origin that we already know. It's like, oh, his parents got shot and he became Batman. We all know it. Having to constantly repeat that, I, I do agree, gets a little old. I think that everybody just wants that safety net because they want to retell the origins differently. I do agree that we need to see characters like Killer Croc, uh, Deadshot, Mr. Zazz. Um, you can even go Hush to an extent and the Riddler if you want to go that story. You can go Long Halloween. 
You can go The Dark Knight Returns. You can do so many different... Yeah, I think they, they do need to redo Mr. Freeze just because much as I loved him in many other movies, Arnold Schwarzenegger was horrible. Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the worst, but Mr. Freeze is a character that you can do a, a lot with, but it's limited by how you're going to do the character because he always has to be in the cold. You know, like, it's always there's always that connotation of coldness, and his story is more a story of tragedy than anything else. So, he, the, it, Mr. Freeze, it's like, you watch him, you know what he's doing, but you know that the payoff is because he's trying to do it for the greater good. Just he's using the wrong methods to do it. Now, if you take a character like, like, Catman and Catwoman. Catman got redone recently in a couple of books, I'd say about three years ago, and they made him a complete badass. You can add him as a henchman to another character and just introduce them in there. I really would like to see a, a Man-Bat story told. The same way that they're bringing the lizard to the silver screen for Spider-Man, I think a Man-Bat story would add to it, even integrated into something with with the long Halloween. Or another, another idea. You, you have a, a large Batman family. Let's get a Nightwing movie. I'd watch that. A Nightwing, a Nightwing movie would be good, especially if you do the progression and the origins for that character, and you introduce him in a Batman film. Same way they're doing with the Avengers. I would do that. I'd watch it too. But I mean, one of the things, like like I said, one of the reasons why I would like to see a Batman Beyond movie is because you can still use a few of the original Batman characters, like, Mr. Freeze was in Batman Beyond. He was. And you could finally do the character right. You wouldn't have a fucking wisecracking and smoking cigars and shit. This is true. Unfortunately, I think at this point, much like they, much like with Raimi Spider-Man, once we finish this final Batman film, we just have to let it, let it lie for a little bit. And not jump right back into it and expect to reboot the franchise. It's going to be too fresh in people's minds to gain anything but negativity at first. I honestly feel that at this point it should be, alright, we finished this last Batman movie. Let's wait at least four years before we start a new one. Let it let it wash away. So that way you don't have to continually hear that the Nolan films were the measuring stick for this new series. Because as you can see, that's the problem with Superman. The bitter taste of the Brandon Routh Superman film has people already soured on this new Superman. And everything that they see related to it is met with negativity because the, 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 the ill will of the original Superman film with Brandon Routh is still way too fresh, you know? It is what it is, man. There you go. Anything else to add, my friend? Not, not right now. That, that's pretty good shit on Batman. All right, man. Thanks. All right, brother. Peace. Peace. All right, let's talk some box office numbers. Twilight Saga. Breaking Dawn Part 1. $42 million. $221 million total. The Muppets. $29.5. $42 million total. Happy Feet 2 was... 13.4, 43.8 million dollars total. Arthur Christmas was 
Hugo was 11.4. Jack and Jill, 10.3, was number uh, number 6. Immortals was 7. Puss in Boots was 8. Tower Heist ugh, was 9. And The Descendants was, was n- number 10 in the box office. Now, I want to dig into um, some obscure films that we all know for various reasons, whether they were remade or whether they were interpretations of Japanese films, and they've kind of fallen by the wayside. But guess what? It seems that two films in particular are getting the reboot treatment. Those two films are The Ring and The Grudge. Producer Roy Lee has said that he is working on reboots for both, and he wants to bring new versions of those films to the big screen. With regards to The Grudge, he stated, we haven't decided exactly what what the approach will be. We've just put it out to the film community that we're hearing takes from writers. There's more progress on The Ring, about which he said, for The Ring, we actually have a script written to see if it works in terms of trying to restart The Ring franchise. If you guys remember, the original Grudge franchise died with the uh, third film, which was a straight-to-DVD production, which I believe I saw. I don't remember I saw it on cable, and that was in 2008-2009, and the last Ring movie we saw was in 2005. I really think that neither one of these movies deserves a reboot because they were already based on Japanese versions of these uh, of of the films. You had already The Grudge and Ringu. So, really, just let Sleeping Dogs lie. Why are you going to dig this up? I know Saw made a shitload of money. So did Paranormal Activity. But don't jump on the bandwagon and flood the box office with subpar interpretations of these films. Just leave, leave them the fuck alone. Bloody Disgusting is reporting that Riddick is ba- the new Riddick film is back on track. Filming has already begun. They've added a couple of new actors and actresses to the film, including Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica, Bakeem Woodbine, and w- former WWE wrestler Dave Batista has also been cast. In some What the Fuck movie news, which I swore I thought we had seen the last of, it seems that the studio and Hasbro are working on bringing that Ouija film to theaters. The toy company Hasbro has hired Marty Noxon, best known for her work on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series and the remake of Fright Night, to script the film. Originally, Universal had dropped it due to budget issues. I was super happy when I heard that. But it seems that Hasbro and Platinum Dunes are still going to move forward with it, and it's planned on being a family adventure. Last time I checked, the Ouija board was usually used for summoning ghosts and talking to demons. So I have no idea how they plan on making it a family film, but I'm sure it will surely suck. For those of you that are fans of Lord of the Rings, there will be a Hobbit teaser trailer you can expect around Christmas time. It will be premiering and, well, it'll be attached to the Adventures of Tintin, which hits theaters December 21st. So if you are looking forward to seeing the teaser trailer for The Hobbit, you will need to go see Tintin, and it will be attached to that. Let's talk about this whitewashed Akira film. Every week that I talk to you guys about the film, I just become more and more and more and more and more disgusted with this concept. It seems that an early synopsis has been leaked. I don't know how legit it is, but you guys can... uh, make sense of it. I'm going to share it with you guys and how legit it is, I don't know, but 
let's hear the breakdown. As of right now, Garrett Hedlund will be playing Kaneda. Kristen Stewart is rumored to be playing Kai. Ken Watanabe will be the Colonel. And get this, Helena Bonham Carter is Lady Miyako. Listen to that carefully. Helena Bonham Carter is Lady Miyako. As of as we all know, obviously, Kaneda is known for his relationship with Tetsuo. Not so much in this new one. Kaneda is a bar owner in Neo Manhattan who is stunned when his brother Tetsuo is abducted by government agents led by the colonel. Desperate to get his brother back, Kaneda agrees to join with Kai Reed and her underground movement who are intent on revealing to the world what truly happened in New York City 30 years ago when it was destroyed. Kaneda believes their theories to be ludicrous, but after finding his brother again, is shocked when he displays telekinetic powers. Kai believes Tetsuo is headed to release a young boy named Akira, who has taken control of Tetsuo's mind. Kaneda clashes with the colonel's troops on his way to stop Tetsuo from releasing Akira, but arrives too late. Akira soon emerges from his prison, courtesy of Tetsuo, as Kaneda races in to save his brother before Akira once again destroys Manhattan, much like he did 30 years ago. This synopsis was brought to you by Superhero Hype. It is destined for failure. Destined. Listen to that synopsis and ask yourself, would I go to see this movie? I'm sure many of you, especially those of you that are fans of the anime, will probably tell me to go fuck myself, and they will not go and see it. I am in that majority. I feel that whitewashing this film was bad enough, but rewriting pretty much the basic premise of it is just another nail in the coffin. Simple as that. I see that Slick is uh, Slick feels that the anime was crap. You know the funny thing, and I'm and I'm gonna go off 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 topic here a little bit. Slick's commentary with regards to that is not. He seems to not be the first person to tell me that they really didn't like Akira. Um, Slick notes in the chat that he feels that it was overhyped. Personally, I think Akira has a place in 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 any anim in any anime fans library. I think it's a it's a good movie. I don't think it's awesome. I don't think it's revolutionary, but is it good? Yes. Was it a an anime that was accepted by American audiences rather easily? Sure. Is it the greatest? Nope, absolutely not. I think that the way that the movie went had really good pacing. The ending, much like you said, uh, Slick felt that the ending was, was terrible. I felt that the ending was very convoluted and confusing, but... Seeing this translated to live action is just very disconcerting for me, only because if you're going to do it, please use Asian actors. I beg you. Obviously, it's not the case, but what can we do? We can see it come into the box office and slowly sink down the charts until it falls into home release, at which point it'll just collect dust on the shelves, much like the Street Fighter movie, much like the Dragon Ball Z movie. And maybe then Hollywood will learn. Here's something I didn't even think I would ever share with you guys because it's it's ridiculous, but it's amusing. Darren Aronofsky is doing a film based on Noah from the Bible, a.k.a. Noah's Ark. Now, originally, it was rumored that Christian Bale was going to play Noah. 
he passed on the project, and it's now being reported that Michael Fassbender will be targeted to play Noah. Obviously, Michael Fassbender has a, a great resume, but the humor in this is Christian Bale playing Noah. And I only find humor in this because I visualize Christian Bale losing his mind and yelling at animals, Get on the fucking boat! Don't you understand? There's floods coming! Get on the boat! Just yelling at them, Swear to me, zebras! Swear to me! I don't know why, I just had a visual of Christian Bale yelling at mice and zebras to get on a fucking boat, and that they're interrupting his thought process. I really have a... I, I have a mixed relationship with movies based on the Bible, because the religious beliefs aside, I just think that you're basing the stories on the Bible to what I equate to a comic book movie. You figure out ways to make cool special effects and to and to symbolize some sort of a message, and you expect that that's going to be the selling point. They did it with The Passion of Christ, which to me was one of those movies where they really went overboard on showing some of the more brutal scenes involving Christ. And sure, if it was if if that's the way it went down, it they really went in a completely visceral direction. I think that a Noah film is the equivalent of doing the the second Bruce Almighty with Evan Almighty. That that's how I see it. I think that any film about Noah cannot be taken seriously if you're going to make it some sort of an epic. It's a guy who convinces animals to get on a boat in pairs and they don't mysteriously kill each other. There's no way to make that any sort of an epic film. Any it's a, it, it, there's no way it's not going to work. Can Darren Aronofsky pull it off? Sure, sure he can. But who really is going to invest that much energy into seeing a movie based on Noah's Ark? Honestly, I don't feel that many people will do it. I think Michael Fassbender has the chops to make it work. But I just feel that the audiences probably are not going to give a fuck about it. And lastly, to close out the movie segment... Tom Cruise is going to be working on a new film, which is called All You Need Is Kill, which is based on a novel written by Hiroshi Sakurazaka, uh, and it's being directed by Doug Lyman. And the reason that I'm actually talking about this was because a lot of people on Twitter were having issues with Tom Cruise being involved, and I'm going to share with you guys the synopsis for the novel, and you guys can make your own assessment. There's one thing worse than dying. It's coming back to do it again and again. When the alien uh, Jitai invade, invade Keiji Kurek, uh Wow, this guy's name is... I'm going to fuck this up. When the alien Jitai invaded, Keiji Karaka is just one of the many raw recruits shoved into a suit of battle armor and sent out to kill. Keiji dies on the battlefield, only to find himself reborn each morning to fight and die again. On the 158th iteration, though, he sees something different, something out of place. A female soldier known as the Bitch of War. Is the bitch the key to Keiji's escape or to his final death? I, I actually like the concept. I think that Tom Cruise is kind of a poor choice only because he's he's kind of old. But the I like I like the concept. I like the characters. It feels a little bit quantum leapish in certain respects, but 
the storyline seems like you could do a lot, make it very visceral, very violent, which is always good. I'm always down for that. Um, Doug Lyman does a pretty good job. I like Slick's analogy. Slick equated it to Groundhog Day, which is which is an interesting way of looking at it. But the concept of being of going out to war, dying, and being reborn every day. There's so many, there's so many great emotional stories you can tell from that especially because the the biggest fear any soldier has is dying on the front line i i've talked to a, to people that have been soldiers and they say it they're like you don't know when you wake up if today's going to be the day when an rpg blows up your vehicle or when you're going to step on a mine and that concept to me is very interesting if done right i think that telling that sort of a story is is going to be key I honestly don't see Tom Cruise as the war movie type. I see him more as an action movie guy. He he really lacks that grit to play a character like this. I would rather use someone... I would honestly like to see uh, Ken Watanabe would have been good for that. It would have been it would have been good if you take a, an actor like Ken Watanabe and go with that as opposed to Tom Cruise. I mean, they both worked together in The Last Samurai, and Ken Watanabe is a character, uh, an actor who hasn't met his stride with American audiences. I think in Japan and and abroad, he's he's the man, but here in the U.S., he hasn't hit his stride as being accepted as a mainstream leading man. And I think he has the potential to do it. If you don't want to go that route and you want to go with somebody younger, I would have gone with, uh, with I don't know, a Jake Gyllenhaal, especially after his work in Jarhead. Um, I would have done something like that where he's already been involved in a war movie. I would have gone Mark Wahlberg, who's also been in, in a war film. I, I'd go with any other actor except Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise doesn't strike me as the post-apocalyptic warrior that can carry a role of this magnitude. I just don't see it. I really love the concept. I like where it can go, but I don't see anything redeeming about Tom Cruise being involved. I mean, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible and Pretty Boy action films—he's that guy. I mean, he was good in 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 some of the in some of his darker roles, but I don't feel he has the the chops to play a a, a war hero, much less a war veteran in this type of a film. I just don't see it. Alright folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Quick, short, and to the point. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 118 for Thursday, December 1st, 2011. If you have any questions, concerns, you can call us on the feedback line 347-815-0MTR, 347-815-0687. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or would like to be interviewed for one of the interview series, MTR Behind the Mic or MTR Beyond the Mic, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow My Take Radio on Twitter at mytakeradio. You can follow me personally at rich underscore mtr. If you're on Facebook, become a fan on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash mytakeradio. If you got any questions about comics, games, wrestling, movies, formspring.me forward slash mytakeradio is your source. If you got any questions that you don't want to write via email, Formspring is a great way to go. Add us to your circle on Google+. Look for My Take Radio on Google+. And you can probably find me as well. Last but not least, get the My Take Radio app available for Android and iOS devices. You can look for the Android app. 
version of the app in the Amazon Marketplace, AppBrain, and probably in the Android Marketplace as well. Just look for MyTake Radio. You can also get the MyTake Radio app for your iPhone and iPad. Just head over to iTunes and look for MyTake Radio. And do us a favor, if you get the app or if you are listening to episodes of MTR via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the shows. We'd really appreciate it and it would help us move up the rankings. Last but not least, you can listen to My Take Radio on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, and any of the other podcatchers out there. You can also stream My Take Radio via the Stitcher app, stitcher.com forward slash My Take Radio. Enter My Take as the promo code and you'll be entered to win a $100 gift card. If you want to pick up an MTR shirt, head over to MyTakeRadio.com. Click the store button and you can get yourself a t-shirt or a hoodie. And if you're doing any holiday shopping or any shopping via Amazon, use our Amazon affiliate store. Head over to MyTakeRadio.com. Click the Amazon store. Get all your games, movies, gadgets, and gear straight from Amazon. And you'll be helping us out all the same. Alright guys, that's going to take us out of here. I will see you guys next week. We're going to have some interviews, which you'll be able to get if you are an app owner or Stitcher subscriber. I'm out. Peace. All right. The outro for this week, I think we are going to go out with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's Morphin Time from OC Remix. You can pick that up at ocremix.org.